Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me once again to 1 Peter, and we'll start in chapter 3. We've made our way into chapter 3. 1 Peter, chapter 3. First Peter chapter three. If you remember last week, we looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. And if you remember, um, the beseeching of Paul was that we. Be a people who seek out that great bishop and shepherd. That he would have our souls. That he would be the one who is above all. That he would be the one um, who would have our lives. Now, what what are the things, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, that, that steal away that relationship? Well, it's our fleshly lust, right? And so we looked at those, those fleshly lusts that war against the soul. And of course, then we have the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ who is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. And then we find ourselves coming into chapter 3, and Paul seems to take a turn in what he's teaching, and he begins to teach um, about relationships in the home. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise... You wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that any if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. One of the things that each and every one of us have to come to grips with in our lives is that to be in subjection to another person is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. Um, To be uh, under authority is not a bad thing. Um, it It is the way in which God has designed things so that there might be peace. And as we look at these things, hopefully uh, we'll be able to, to, to do away with a lot of the things that people say about women, um, about their role in the family, and in the church, and in society in general. Um, God made women. Amen. And God made women very good. When He finished making all things, it wasn't until... His final creation that He said it is very good. And that was after Eve was made. Now how do we know that it was after Eve was made? Well, once we leave chapter 1 and get into chapter 2, God said that it is not blank for the man to be alone. Good, right? And so if it was not good for the man to be alone... In order for God to say that it was very good that He made, what must have been made, or who must have been made, in order for God to have said that? Eve, right? Not just humans, 
Eve in particular. Because Adam was made first, Eve second, and then God said that it is very good. Um, Adam and Eve were both made on the sixth day. On the sixth day. And both Adam and Eve, when they had come together, they no doubt thought it was good. And so the scripture says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Why? That if any obey not the word, if any obey not the word. Now, wives, how many of your husbands are going to not obey God's word? All of them, right? Now, there are going to be some who refuse to obey the first thing that they need to obey, and that's obedience to the gospel. Obedience to the gospel. Uh, they might not be saved, all right? But it's not speaking, he, he's not specific in salvation, is it? What does he say? He says that if any obey not the word, Wives, have your husbands ever disobeyed the word and you knew it? (laughs) What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Well, being in subjection to your own husband is a good thing. Why? Because that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, the word conversation... Includes what we say, but it, it's all of our lifestyle. You know, when we when we first start going out with a person who eventually would be our spouse, are we very careful about what we say? Yeah, we're very careful about what we say. And can one date give you the perfect impression? Of how that other person lives their life, what their lifestyle's like, it cannot, right? Uh, they believe me. Uh, the guys, guys, you guys are on your very best behavior that night, aren't you? <laughs> if you're not, it's likely you're not going to get another date. So you say, oh, "I'm going to be on my very best behavior." And um, but our conversation is our whole lifestyle. Which can only be seen over a period of time by another person. And when a husband sees a believing wife live in obedience to him because she wants to live in obedience to God, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Now, we might say, well, that, that's not true. That's not true. All I can tell you is this, is that this is what God has said. Right? To live in subjection. Well, how do we do that? Verse 2, it says, While they behold your chaste or pure conversation coupled with fear or reverence. Verse 3, Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Now, one thing we do want to make clear here. Is chapter 3 is not saying that it is a sin for a woman to put braids in her hair. 
It's not a sin for a woman to wear gold. It's not a sin for a woman uh, to put on clothes. And really, I, I don't. of course, it's not talking about just putting on clothes, but it's putting on nice clothes, right? It's not a sin, all right? He's not saying this. Uh, in fact, the, the way it's written is talking about adorning, all right? And so, what is the adorning? You know what that word adorning is? In the Greek, it's cosmos. When we think of cosmos, what do we think of? Jackie? Well, (laughs) I didn't think about that. The stars. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, I thought of stars. (laughs) But the beauty of of the night sky. Um, The scripture talks about the night sky as being uh, something of beauty. There's, There's the idea that God has made this expanse of the universe for us to be able to see and be in wonder and awe. Now, some people can look at the night sky and look at it and say how amazing it is and how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is and never talk about God. Isn't that true? No doubt about that. And yet many people, when they look out in the night sky, they can't help but to say how awesome God is. Right? Have you ever looked out in the night sky and thought how amazing God is? Have you ever saw a meteorite fly through the air and be amazed? I have. Um, have you ever looked out into the sky trying to figure out which, uh, which of the stars make uh, the certain patterns and certain uh, pictures uh, and, and that type of thing? Sure. Um, and people can look out at a, at a particular a look out in the night sky and say, that shows how awesome God is. That's what the word adorning points to. It points to cosmos, uh, not, not cosmetics, Jackie, but, but the stars, the, the expanse of space, and how amazing it is, and how beautiful it is. And the scripture is talking about um, a woman's life being beautiful in leading to others to glorify God because of her life. Right? Now, many women believe that the very purpose of their life is their beauty. Is how pretty do other people think I am? And so it leads them to do certain things to their body and on their body and and the clothes they wear and that type of thing so that other people can look and say... How beautiful she is. I want you to know something. That every woman that's ever been born into this world was made by God. And has an innate beauty like the stars. And it doesn't need special clothes. And it doesn't need expensive jewelry. And it doesn't need... um, It doesn't need... doesn't even need cosmetics. When I say that, I I don't mean doesn't even need... But it doesn't need cosmetics for that beauty to shine. 
It's not wrong for a lady to put on makeup. It's not wrong for a lady to put on nice clothes or to wear a nice gold ring, even with a big diamond that maybe her husband gave her. Right? This is not what this scripture is saying. But it is saying, don't let those things be the focus of your life. Let the glory of God be the focus of your life. Let the reason why you put clothes on, why you braid your hair, why you put on a gold ring or a gold necklace or pearls, to be that which leads others to say, uh, to ultimately, after they are able to see over a period of time, the godliness of your life, right? No person is going to be able to see the godliness of a person's life upon their first meeting. It's going to be over time, and that's what that means by conversation. Right? In many churches, they, they harp on clothes and certain things. And I, I do believe that it's important for Christians to have a thought about what other people think. Um, we definitely live in a society that's promiscuous. In all kinds of ways. And I don't think ladies should be promiscuous in their clothes. But churches make a very big deal about the clothes particularly that ladies wear. And they say a lady ought to be modest. And I believe that's true. But what does it mean? Modesty doesn't necessarily mean a dress or a skirt that goes below the knee. I have met ladies who would not ever wear clothes that would be disallowed at churches, certain churches. And yet their focus in their dress is not God at all. Not at all. They're not seeking godliness at all. They're able to keep the rules, so to speak. But I believe every lady and every gentleman ought to want their life to exude glory for God. Amen? And how they act and how they can be seen over time. And the impression that people get about our lives is not the impression of a single moment or snapshot in time, but it, it, it is that which is shown to be true over an extended period of time. You know, I've always enjoyed the way ladies look, women look. Before I was saved, I certainly enjoyed the way ladies looked and would get into the gutter of Ranking the way the girls looked in high school. It's a sad thing. Right? I tell you what, after I got saved, the beauty of godliness far exceeded everything else. Far exceeded. And that's the way it all Right? That makes sense? So verse 4 says, But let it be the hidden man of the heart 
in that which is not corruptible, even in the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So let's look at this verse here. But let it be of the, the hidden man of the heart, the place in which the Holy Spirit lives. By the way, the Holy Spirit is not corruptible. Some say that when we sin, the Holy Spirit sins too. That's a lie. If you're saved today, there is part of you that never, ever, 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 ever sins. And that's the Holy Spirit, right? It is the Holy Spirit that cannot be corrupted. And it is by the Holy Spirit that we are fully sanctified by God. We are before God perfect. And because the Holy Spirit lives within us, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, it is that hidden man of the heart which is not corruptible, And so let our life be lived in accordance to that hidden man of the heart, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. That word meek is is a wonderful word. It ultimately means that we are not centered upon ourselves, but our center is on God. What is the opposite of a meek person? Well, a person whose life is centered upon themselves, right? Does that make sense? That a a person who's centered upon themselves is not meek because they cannot think about what others are thinking. They cannot think uh, that others are more important than themselves. The word meek is a, a beautiful word. It's a word that describes people throughout the Old Testament. Moses, in particular. But a person who has God as their center, as the one who is the most important. That is what meek means. And then when we come to this next word, we often really miss what it's all about. There's an idea that women ought not ever say anything. Because the Scripture says that they ought to be meek and quiet. That they ought to be meek and quiet. Well, scripturally speaking, the word quiet does not mean to be silent, but it means to be peaceable. All right? It means to not be seeking controversy. It means to be at peace. Does that make sense? 
In other places, it's translated peaceable. Not quiet, in the sense that no woman should ever speak any time. And if they ever say anything, it ought to be, um, it ought to be what they can do for their husband. No. God is a God of peace. And God wants us to have peace with one another. God first wants there to be peace in the home. Right? You guys with me on that? And so, in the relationship between husbands and wives, God does not want wives to say things or do things that their husband ultimately would not want them to say or do. Now, that that sounds uh, sexist, so let me explain. God has given us wonderful homes, a place of peace. And He has given some to be men and some to be women. And in the homes, there ought to be able to be conversation to where there can be agreement between husbands and wives. And if there is not agreement, in order for there to be peace, there needs to be quietness. In other words, let's just not, we just won't do, we won't do this and we won't do that. We'll just be still. Does that make sense? But in homes where there cannot be these conversations and either the man or the woman goes ahead of these things, what can happen in the home? That might be very quiet and peaceable at church, but what happens at home? There's all kinds of fighting, right? There's all kinds of fighting. Every marriage has gone through that. Right? Every marriage is going through that. So there has to be a learning of quietness. And ladies, it's okay to be willing to say, you know what? In the grand scheme of things, my way does not have to be it. I can be quiet. You know, if I want to go, um, if I want to go and, and that person in the church and, and I want to ream them out, but my husband says, I, I don't want you to do that. What's the proper thing to do? How about be quiet, right? My husband doesn't want me to go and, and uh, ream out the, the song leader <laughs> or the, the Sunday school teacher or the pastor. He doesn't want me to, to, to do that. You know what? It's okay not to, right? Now, if you think it, that somebody needs to be talked to, then you can talk about these things together as a couple. Because the the things that you do together, whether individually or together, they ultimately lead to what your life is together. And so he means, by the word quiet, he means one who is going after peace with all they've got. Romans tells us, To be at peace with all men as much as is in you. Right? 
And God has given us husbands and He's given us wives to help us be at peace. Do you think there's ever been times where I was ready to go and... There have been times times where I've said, I am going tonight to that person's house and we are going to figure this out. And I'm not saying, oh, you know, things. I, I need to go figure it out. I'm like, I am going. And my wife's like, you can't do that. I don't want you to go. Right? Well, what's the wise thing to do? Not go. And the same has happened the other way. Where my wife has been offended and she says, I have got to do this. I say, well, I'd rather you not. And I praise the Lord for my wife. Who says, all right, but I want to. (laughs) And there have been times where maybe things should have been said. But God is a great God who knows all things and who's fully capable of, of causing things to turn out right. Amen? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say there? I'm not trying to say that women ought to never speak, but I think in the context of marriage, there is a, a built-in uh, accountability that keeps us from saying things that we ought not to that could hurt the peace that God wants us to have. Right? As kids grow older, moms and dads talk to each other. And, you know, my kids have grown up a little bit, uh, not quite to the teenage years. I'm hoping the Lord comes back before Riley can drive, so... Sorry, kiddo. That's my prayer. No, no driving. Riley's not going to be able to drive. The Lord's coming back to get us. But as, as our kids grow older, they're going to have more responsibility and they're going to begin making decisions. Uh, and those decisions will be more and more major. Some of them might be bad decisions. Some of them will ultimately be sinful decisions. And how we say things needs to be something that we're able, moms and dads are able to get together and say, this is how we're going to do this. Alright? Why? Because if, if one of our kids does something that we, we don't want them to do, one parent is going to be ready to fly off the handle and say, we are, we, I'm going to murder that kid. Right? And the other one is going to be quieter and, and able to, to, Keep things from, from blowing up. And if they two people get together and say, this is how we should do this. Then there is a quiet spirit. Rather than one that wants to destroy and make war. Alright? And these things are crucial in the moment. Right? Because if we are unwilling to take... The marriage that God has given us and take the counsel that wives can give husbands and husbands give wives, things can get bad. Right? Can things get bad with teenagers? Yeah. Things can get bad with teenagers. And so we want to be able to go to God together 
and by the grace of God come to a place where we're able to do what God wants us to do the way God wants us to do it. And so notice how the Scripture continues. He says in verse 4, But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now why does God see a meek and quiet spirit of greater value than gold and diamonds and, and braided hair? Because gold and diamonds and braided hair mean nothing in relationship, Right? It means nothing. It means nothing for those things that are going to happen in the future. What does? The way we act. Right? The way we act affects the future. What we wear will not affect the future. Our conversation, our lifestyle that's seen over time will affect what happens in the future. It will affect what happens in our home. It will affect, affect what happens in our church. It will affect what happens in your relationship at work, and your relationship with the folks at work. These are things that are of great price because they are the things that lead to those things in the future lead to God being glorified. You guys with me? What you wear to work may get you compliments, and there's nothing wrong with being complimented. But I, to be sure, folks aren't going to remember what you wore once they get home that night, right? They are not going to care what you wore. You might get compliment, but if they're, if they're thinking about what you wore once they go home, something's wrong with them or something's wrong with what you wore. It doesn't. It, those things, in the scheme of eternity, mean nothing. But your 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 walk, your daily walk, means a whole lot, doesn't it? It means a whole lot. This is why God puts a greater value on you than what you wear, or how you dress, or how you do your hair, and that goes for guys too, right? So he goes on in verse 5, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And so let's turn over there to Genesis See what's being talked about here. Genesis chapter 18. So in Genesis chapter 18, three people come. I believe it's Jesus and two angels. That's my uh, belief about who those three people are. Um, The Scripture says in chapter 18 verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat at the door, the tent door, in the heat of the day. As he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and lo, the three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, Abraham said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. 
Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah. What a wonderful thing. Here are the most important people in Abraham's filled full life. More important than Lot. More important than any other people. Here is the most important three people. Particularly that one, the Lord. And he runs to Sarah for help. That's good. We ought to have relationships. When the Lord's ready to do something, we run to somebody for help. Husbands, we ought to be able to run to our wives for help. When the Lord's there ready to meet with us, when He's ready for something for us to do, it is our wives we run to and say, I need some help. Right? And here comes the Lord. He says, the best thing I can do is make a meal and get them some water. I'm going to run to my wife Sarah for help. And he knew he could. He knew he could. Sarah was not subservient because she was a slave. She was subservient because she was a partner. She knew this was the best thing to do. And so Abraham said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. Why was Sarah going to do it? Abraham, why don't you do that? Because it was the Lord. Who do you think is going to make the three best cakes? Sure. And so Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good. Now why did Abraham go pick out the calf? Because he was better at that, right? You think Sarah would have had a tough time picking out and getting the calf and, and cutting the guts out and dressing it and getting ready? Probably, right? You see the partnership here? And gave him to a young man, and he hasted to dress. So Abraham didn't have to do it. He had a servant to do that. And he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had dressed, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? By the way, where should Sarah have been? By his side. And he said, Behold, in the tent. And so if Abraham did anything wrong, it was that he didn't have Sarah by his side. She was the one he went to for help, and she ought to have been the one who was beside his side, beside him, as they fellowship with the Lord. And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son, and Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She was no longer able to bear children. And so in verse 12, the Scripture says, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And so what does she call Abraham? Lord. Lord. 
Why doesn't she say, my husband is old also? Why does she say, Lord? Is it because that's what Abraham taught her to say? Was she just living in a Victorian age of the late 1800s where that's the way women acted and if they didn't act, they weren't able to, to really be part of society? Mark? She was placing him Yeah. She was, she was placing him um, in the position of... Decision making. What uh, what decision need to be made? Well, the decision to have children. When he was almost a hundred and she was almost ninety. She said, Listen, children would be a pleasure to me, but I'm old, and my Lord is old also. I'm old. And my Lord is old old also. Now, I'm not almost 100 years old. I'm 38 years old. We just had our fifth child. I begin to think how old that child will be when she finally moves out of the house. I'm going to be old. Right? But here, they were going to have to walk by faith. And it was going to have to be together. Could either one of them do this alone? Could Sarah do it alone? No baby without a man, right? Could Abraham do it alone? No womb. He doesn't have one. More than that, would they be able to raise their children apart from each other? Would they be able to raise that child? You know what... God said about Abraham that God knew that they would raise the they that Abraham would raise his son to know and love the Lord. That's an amazing thing. But he didn't do it alone. He did it with Sarah. Verse 13 And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course, what's the answer to that? No. At the time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. I'm so glad the Lord is so good. Here's Sarah lying through her teeth. And the Lord says, no, you did laugh. (laughs) He could have blasted her. But he just said, no, you did laugh. And and she did, but they did have a child. Amen? And so, God desires our homes to be at peace. He's given husbands and wives so that they might live at peace with one another. So that they might be going together in the same direction with one another. And wives, 
go together with God. Amen? Don't seek to go it without. One of the saddest things that I see, I've seen just in this past several weeks, is the breakup of homes and the sad things that come about because of it. And if only two had gone together with the Lord, it might have made all the difference. Now, we want to be careful how many homes perfectly adhere to this first principle. We're going to get to the husbands next week. How many homes have this down? (laughs) We're not going to get it down just right until we're in heaven. And so don't despair if you find yourself yelling at each other and think that there's no way that you can have a marriage. You guys are going to yell at each other. Folks, families, husbands, wives, they're going to yell. And there's going to be a break of peace. But God can get us back, right? Somebody will say they're wrong. and Maybe both are wrong. Maybe one was wrong. Probably, husbands, you were wrong. And you can get it right. You can get back to peace. No doubt about it. We've done that a hundred times in our home. At least. We've gotten back to peace. I praise the Lord for that. And so may God help us. Amen.